This is Research Software Engineer Stories, coming straight at you from USRSC, the U.S. Research Software Engineer Association. Welcome to RSC Stories. I'm Vanessa Socket, and today I'm joined by Christoph Pahmeyer, who is a PhD student in Economic Modeling of Agricultural Systems at University Bonn. If some of you are familiar with the RSC Phenotype Generator, where you can go on and click and drag the different dimensions for your phenotype, all of the credit for that click and drag action goes to Christoph, who is maintainer of a Chart.js plugin to drag data on GitHub. And matter of fact, this is how I met him in July 2019. I opened an issue just to say thank you because folks, I literally added the script and it just worked. So Christoph, here is a second thank you for that and a third for coming on RSC Stories. Thank you so much and thanks for having me. Back then in our conversation, I remember that I was explaining to you about the RSC phenotype generator, and then we talked about being an RSC, and you said, and I quote, it's funny that you bring this up. I never really thought about calling myself an RSC, but <laughs> in fact, this library was built for a research effort. And then mm -hmm. you went to describe your work about single farm optimization. So let's start there. Can you take us back to the earliest point when you were interested in either research or software and tell us how you got from there to where you are today? Actually, I think it takes us back to not too long ago, just probably three years. I was a master's student. For my background, I'm from a farm, so with some practical knowledge in agriculture. We basically mostly grew arable crops, so we don't have any animals uh, anymore. I had was having or taking this master's course in farm economics, kind of yeah, like a regular economics course, but just with some specialties in how to do accounting in, in farms and stuff like that. We did some Excel accountings and we kind of doing some production planning, I think is the correct term is for what we did. So the question was, okay, the farm has these resources. So how should the farm in an optimal point allocate its resources to get the highest revenue? And I think it's a really basic question. I mean, it's the whole field of research of operations research, which I back then didn't know about. We built this Excel sheet and then we used the Excel solver that I think some of you know for finding this optimal point. And it was more kind of about the theory behind it. But then I remember our professor saying, yeah, this is kind of the standard technique of how a farmer or like how any person in business would kind of plan their operations. And the thing is, as a matter of fact, I'm from a farm. And one thing I knew for sure is that that's not true. <laughs> like not a single person, especially not a single farmer I knew is uh, actually planning his operations that way. And I think that's really, if you kind of ask, okay, how did it all start? This is kind of the point. I was a little amazed by the whole technique behind it, how well the optimization works in general, but I was also a little amazed, okay, why is that not used in practice? It could maximize profits by, let's say, 20%. And I was like, okay, that's so much money. Like, why would you not use it? And in the long run, this ChartJS plugin evolved as a, one of the many ideas on kind of how to make it easier for farmers to actually optimize their production program. And that's basically how I got more and more interested into programming. So it sounds like there was a disconnect between like the software and the algorithms available for doing this optimization and then what exactly. farmers were actually using. Was there any pattern in terms of why that disconnect might have been there? For example, was it the case that just smaller farms didn't have either the awareness or the expertise to be able to use that software? I think if you look at the whole, like after the war, especially in Europe, we had huge food shortages and that's, that was kind of the idea. We were saying, okay, researchers should apply these algorithms back then on pen and paper. 
to come with these production plans. But over the decades, even some other researchers, they were investigating, okay, how could we make this more approachable for farmers? Because I think everybody knew back then, once you get into the math, that it's not something you could just do on a Sunday night or like while watching football or something like that. I was really thinking the problem with it is we're building these models. If you only take a little time, you quickly get kind of stupid results. Kind of like, you know, imagine you grow soybeans and it has some really high per hectare yield then your optimization model will quickly tell you to just grow all of your fields with soybean, even though that's not feasible to the growing period or your labor requirements or your labor endowments. I was thinking the problem with this is it's just, you need so much math knowledge. And also, I mean, these days you would need quite intensive knowledge in, in programming. Even if you had this, there's still a high risk of building such a model. And it takes you even a week to build it. And then there's just nonsense coming out. For bigger farms, probably it's easier because they could probably employ somebody to do it for them. I'm really thinking it's it, even for bigger farms, it's even until today, it's, it's really difficult to come up with these models and to actually make use of them. Can you tell us about some of the open source projects that you've worked on for these farmers and then how you exposed some kind of tool to help them? And if you have any, do you have any evidence of how the tool has had impact? Thank you for the question. The chart jazz plugin, how like both of us got to know each other. That's just basically one piece in the whole ecosystem. The model that we are we're currently publishing on, which is called Fruchtfolge, it's a German word for crop rotation. And this is the model I basically just described where you can just sign up from the European Union. Every farmer in the union gets a farm identification number and a password. So if you sign up with these two, all this data is downloaded in the background. The optimization model is created. And then the farmer should just basically have really little effort to adapt these default values to his actual situation. Then the farmer could play around with the optimized results, kind of saying you could imagine it like in a table where you see, okay, for this field, the optimization algorithm proposed to grow corn and it should be fertilized in this and that way. And then you can select, well, what happens if I grow soybean there or if I grow wheat? And then you can see or get kind of an instant feedback saying, well, you could do this, but then you can't grow or do a monoculture with most crops, for example. So let's say on field A, you didn't wait for these two years of the waiting period for wheat, or let's say your labor endowment is overshot by, I don't know, 20 hours in this and that month. So you kind of see an instant feedback for these choices that you can make. Farmers, when working with these IT systems, often they have really little time and they want some instant feedback. So that kept them motivated to add in more information, to really see, okay, you know, you click on a different crop and see, okay, what happens if I grow this crop on this field? It right away shows where you can do it, but it costs you 5,000 euros because the gross margin is so much lower. Have you heard of so, folding at home? Sorry, folding at home. No, I didn't hear that. Folding at home is basically a crowdsourced way to derive, I think, protein structures. And what you're describing, what kind of triggered me to think of it is that there's so many fun little apps on phones and, you know, browsers where mm -hmm. you can make your own farm and you optimize different things. This seems like a place where you could potentially gamify the need to optimize some operations on a farm to the general mm -hmm. community that may not be farmers, but they're interested in these little games and then further sort of help the farmers. That sounds really interesting. Yeah, makes perfect sense. Mm -hmm. I'm curious, if you think of the number of researchers or research software engineers that are actively working on these kind of problems, and then mm -hmm. you compare that to what you perceive to be the need for the work, is 
that balance? Are there enough people working on these problems or is it sort of underfunded or understaffed? <laughs> okay, well, I think I recently I saw a graphic from the New York Times magazine or something like that where it was saying how digital is your area and <laughs> agriculture was by far the last entry in that graph. And I think it's kind of the situation here as well because I think there's a lot of research going on, especially in that's luckily the case in environmental economics and that with regard to agriculture and farming. But I think really, especially the term research software engineer, when I was talking to colleagues about it, I think most of them have never heard of A, the term or B, the work that is done here. I'm quite sure there is a need for more RSEs in the field, especially due to the interdisciplinary nature of agriculture. I mean, it's another traditional science as chemistry or physics. So I think there's room for improvement. How might someone get interested or let's say someone is interested what do mm -hmm. they need to do to get started? Is it likely that they'll be working on a farm and then also have some background in programming and they put them two together? Or is there a course of study they can take at their university? If you had full ability, you're some omniscient being to be able to dictate the future and how to <laughs> sort of modify people's incentives, like what would you do to balance the current situation? That's a really good question. So I think for once, if you're interested in the whole area and especially want to make the world a better place, grow more sustainable food, which is kind of the idea behind the, the whole application. But I think really working or, or doing an internship on a farm really helps first to get a sense for the practical work because here with colleagues, many of them did internships. And many of them said that really helped them get an inside view of problems. Working in it, I think it, it really helps you come up with ideas of what can be done, research and also software engineering. And some of the aspects that make it more practical and which will kind of ensure adoption for farmers. But to be honest, I'm also just at the start as well. So I'm really exploring more of the RSE context and I think there's more to come in the future. Yeah, so let's talk a little bit about the role of a research software engineer. Since we chat last year, have you thought more about this role and does it have some particular meaning for you? I was hoping for myself in the future to get such a position because it's really what I love. I don't know about you. I've seen that you've been doing plenty of publications, but me and I've been struggling a lot to get my three papers finished for the PhD. So I'd really like to spend more time in the rather the RSE segment and less in the actual publication, if that was possible in the future. It also kind of brings up the skill that I think is really important for some subset of RSEs, where you look at your community, you look at the work that you do, you're not necessarily looking at a specific research question, but you generally notice that the experience of working on this question with this software is really challenging. And then you take it a step further and you're like, how can I make this better? And so it's hard for publication because when you publish something, you have to have a burning question. You have to have the scientific <laughs> question that you start yeah. and you test and you come up with results. And so it's extremely unsexy to say, you know, working with this software was really challenging and hard. So I made an IDE and hundreds of people's lives are easier now. But that's probably one of, I think, the biggest challenges when you're interested in research software engineering and you're coming from the academic space because the currency of success in academia is publication. Yeah, and, that's true. <laughs> and coming from my PhD, I remember that I would have to try to figure out how to have a quote burning question, but the, all the work behind it, the things that I really got excited about were 
software. <laughs> yeah. Oh, that's so funny because I, th I think that's, that really summarizes my experience as well so far, because I could see as an outsider, how that's something you're really passionate about, how that's something you spend a lot of time on and that really is making other people's lives better. And it's so sad to see, as you said, the paper would rather be about the answer to the burning question that everybody's interested in, but less in how you approach that question. Probably something, as you said, how did I get into all this? I'm really a visual person. So if anybody is also looking, okay, where should I start with programming? I think it's there's multiple approaches, but if you already know, you're really visual. I kind of liked uh, getting into web development first because it's so nice to have instant feedback on what you do. I think that's also why so many people like Python and Jupyter Notebooks because there's this, just this instant feedback and this relief of you write something, you press shift enter, and then you see something really quick. It's it's just so nice and i think that just helps you get motivated to do something i'm really glad that you're mentioning web development because web development is something i really enjoy in visualization i'm not terribly good at it but i see that as being part of sort of my rsc phenotype and it's mm -hmm. good that you're mentioning it because there's a lot of people that i self-identify as rcs out there that look at web development and they're like oh no that is that is not what a research software engineer is and i definitely disagree with that <laughs> Yeah, it's true because I mean, here every Friday we have these PhD seminars where everybody's presenting their work and it's so difficult because I think if I have a research question that I try to answer, I always wanted to make it as, as approachable as possible. This visualization part, often I talk to colleagues, they say, doesn't matter that much because I mean, in the end, all that matters is where I get it published. I think in life, at least to me, this visual part plays a big role. And also if you want to disseminate your work later on and get more clicks on your paper or something like that, like having these graphical abstracts or even like a short video on it, I think it's really helpful to show even people outside of academia what you're working on. And I think that's where web development can help you a lot of having more interactivity with your research results. I agree. I think in terms of publication, it's hard because the rule of the land is that publication is the way that you build your resume. But I think as an RSE, you have to kind of step back and realize that your worth for what you do and the worth of your software and the ideas that you have is not fully represented in publication. And many times you can take a fully developed, beautiful piece of software and you can submit it to a journal that is a journal specifically for open source software. And you can be still rejected because you're told that it's not, it's not research software because of some criteria that someone else holds. And so mm -hmm. I think in those cases, exactly what you said that you have to say, you know, my work is valuable and really the ultimate value is that people know about it and that people realize they can use it and they use it. So I'm going to get creative. I'm going to contribute to hopefully the changing of the future where publication is not as lofty for an RC. I'm going to make a video. I'm going to write a blog. I'm going to, you know, be on a podcast, tell someone about it. There are so many ways for distributing information and work and really the proof is in the pudding. And at the end of the day, if people are eating that pudding, then, you know, you've made a valuable contribution. You don't need that publication. Mm. <laughs> yeah, that would be perfect. But still, I got to finish my PhD at some point. So I need my three. Yes, you have to jump through. Some, you definitely have to jump through some hoops. They yeah, might be on fire too, but you know. <laughs> <laughs> I'm guessing you're sort of later or more toward the end of your PhD. Have you, you probably will hate me asking this question, but have you given any thought about what you might want to do next? 
I don't know. I think you probably got the feeling already for it. Some kind of burning for this whole farm optimization kind of thing. So the next paper I'm writing with friend and colleague here is actually about, so we're really trying the impossible to publish a paper on the program. We hope to finish that quite soonish. And the next one is actually then going out in the field. There's a big agriculture fair and then to interview farmers, use the software with them and then try to see, okay, how, what should be improved? How is this valuable? So my kind of dream is that a farmer, I don't know, turns on the TV, takes his iPad, opens the website and, you know, just plays around with, okay, what the planning for the next year while enjoying his evening. And I'm kind of dreaming of having a pop-up for him showing, okay, well, you could do this and that in the next year. But if you would now grow a field buffer strip where bees could land and animals or wild animals could live in, then you would get this subsidy from the European Union. And I would really think a lot of farmers will adopt these schemes and really to actually get a better environment and kind of a brighter future. Because I think most farmers, they don't want to hurt the planet. It's just, I think they have so much on their minds and so many decisions to make that it's often difficult to actually see, okay, is it worth for my farm? And if we had this program that really shows, okay, you could make 10K more in a year if you did this. I'm really hoping that most people would say, yeah, then I'm definitely doing this. Wow. Decision support for farming is definitely something I've never thought about. And I think it would have <laughs> a huge impact for the examples that you just gave. So I, I want to be respectful of your time. So I'll ask just two more questions. <laughs> Can you tell us something interesting or funny or a story about growing up on a farm? <laughs> growing up on a farm, it's we're quite a big family. And I think what's a little different from, I've, I've been actually doing a school exchange to Michigan when I was younger. I've been visiting some farms and obviously it's it's like farming in the US also is highly heterogeneous. But I think just due to the density here, it's it's not as rural as in the US. So it's kind of funny to have still all your neighbors coming by and it's just so much different than being in the city. I've just been on the farm this weekend and there's not much work in the winter and my dad kind of... <laughs> He got bored, so he just bought wood equipment for building boxes to store potatoes in. And now we're building, I don't know, 50 of these boxes per week. <laughs> and that's this kind of stuff that's done on a farm. It's every single time I come home, there's, I don't know, half of the equipment is sold and it's traded for something new. So you never know what happens next. That's really, uh, <laughs> that's something that I learned on, on the farm business. And that's why I tell everybody who has, I don't know, three months where he doesn't know what to do, just do an internship on a farm. I promise you it won't be boring. And a follow-up question. What do you think is the biggest misconception that people have about farming or farmers? Currently, I'd say, in, or in light of the current discussion, is that farmers are per se evil people. I think there's just probably a lack of communication. Many of us living in the big cities, just kind of somewhat losing touch to rural life. These influences that kind of teach you that farming would be like how it was 200 years ago. Whereas in reality, then you see, I don't know, farmers with huge sprayers and they use chemicals all the time and stuff. And I think that dissonance creates tension between the rural folk and the urban folk. And that's at least that's what I observe here. And I think that's, as with so many minorities, if you talk to the people, you would quickly realize we're all the same. Everybody just wants to sustain their family. And that's kind of the misconception often that, that farmers just want to kill the planet. I can say for sure, I've never met a farmer who wants to do that. So really getting into the discussion, I think would really help solve a lot of problems. I agree. Communication is so powerful in situations like these. And I think 
increased awareness with maybe some of the tools you're developing could also break down these bad misconceptions. If you want to get into this and you're also saying, okay, I want farming to be more sustainable, I'd be really happy to see more in the RSE community and also more software development. Everything is open source that we do. So if anybody wants to get involved and says, okay, I'll be really happy to work with anyone who's interested. Definitely. That is an awesome call to action. You're <laughs> on the RSE Slack, I believe, or are you not yet? Not yet, but I will certainly yes, love so Slack. So. <laughs> let's get you on the RSC Slack and people can reach out to you. And you can also, when you have something interesting that you want to share or you want other people maybe to help with, just post it and let's get more people involved, more people working in this space. Nice. Yeah, perfect. So Christoph, it has been really wonderful talking with you and learning about these two dimensions of being an RC that I hadn't thought a lot about farming. And I'm really glad that we talked about web development because I think that's a huge deal and it's sort of underappreciated. So thank you for coming on RC Stories. Well, thank you so much for inviting me. So I really didn't think about it at first. And yeah, I'm really thankful for being on the podcast.